This is Multinew Media. Good afternoon, everyone. It's Chris Ayers. Uh, I'm here with uh, Chase Raz, and it's another episode of Multinew Media. Hi there, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about more of a technical topic, but it also affects business marketing and um, your placement in, in the marketplaces that are out there. Should you develop for native applications for mobile or other platforms, or should you write to a translation layer like Xamarin or Apache Cordoba? So I, yeah. if I understand the, the basis of your question, we're talking about the difference between native applications and cross-platform applications, right? Yeah. So if you want to implement a new app, do you want to implement it in Java, in iOS, in C Sharp? Uh, possibly in HTML, or do you maybe want to use one of those layers where you like PhoneGap or uh, Apache Cordoba, where you write it in HTML and JavaScript and it appears to be a native app on all the different platforms, or you write it in .NET with Xamarin and it will work on Mac and Windows and your phones of various types. So just you know, to, what, just to recap of what I already know. If we're targeting iOS and uh, Mac, we're, we're looking at Objective-C as the native language. Or Swift. Or Swift. C-sharp on, um, on Windows. There are a host of other languages there that we could use as well. Uh, on Android, we're looking at Java. It, it, that's correct, right? Well, to be fair, yeah, for the most part. You can do HTML and JavaScript apps on iOS, and you can also do native C and C++ apps on iOS. And you can do C++ apps on Windows, and you can do C++ apps on Android. Okay, so we have C++ and C everywhere. But the issue with that is you would need certain libraries to handle like the input and how you interface with the system, and you'd have to have certain... Pro you, know, you have to do a bunch of extra steps to make it work. And that's on. where Objective-C and C-sharp come in to sort of streamline that. Well... What I mean is if you wanted to write one C++ thing and have it work everywhere, you'd have to do a whole bunch of extra hoops for each individual platform to make it work. Uh, the other option is, you know, instead of having one team that does C++, but they kind of know the, the Android side or they kind of know the iOS side, you just go all Java and you just stick on Android. Or you just go all Objective-C and you stick on iOS. Um, the other option is the translation layers, the multi-platform apps where you write .NET everywhere and Xamarin provides or, you know, Apache Cordoba provides the interface layers to the hardware. So you don't have to know all the native stuff to that device or that platform. You talk to Cordoba or you talk to Xamarin, you talk to that translation layer and it, you know, give me the touches. You don't care how to do it on an Android device or an iOS device or a Windows touchscreen. It just works, and it figure and the the layer that you're talking to figures out how to do it, and you don't care. Or uh, draw me a window. You don't care how to do it on a Mac or a Windows. It that layer will figure it out for you. You just tell it to draw a window, and it does it. The good news is, from a business point of view, I'm thoroughly confused, if you will. Now I understand everything you're saying. But it gets to the core of the conversation I think you're wanting to have. Why yep. would we pick one method or over the other, and what are some of the advantages? 
the reason you would even be having this conversation, I think, and a lot of IT people will approach the business people with arguments both ways. But um, let's take, for example, a company that's a Microsoft shop. So they have SQL servers, they have .NET developers, they have IIS web servers. So th they do a lot of the Microsoft stack. Um, and they have a you know enterprise level website, and they want to provide mobile apps, and they want to target iOS and Android platforms. So now you're going to have to hire non-Microsoft oriented people, most likely, to come in and start writing Objective C or start writing Java. And you can approach business going, well, we're going to have to cross-train people on these new languages to, because our guys are not familiar with those languages, most likely. So we're going to have to hire new people. We're going to have to train existing people. We're going to have to develop new infrastructures to handle some of this. Um, it can probably be an expense that business are going to be like, why? The other option is you can say, there's some tools out there that allow us to use our existing development skills, our existing development tools, our existing knowledge. We don't really have to hire anybody. We just got to license this tool. And we can target both iOS and Android at the same time. And we can reuse all our existing code so we have some code that's been tested and working and we're not having to rewrite everything all over again and possibly introduce all new bugs or incompatibilities in the way it operates. So we have some language barriers. If I am an American company and I want to operate in Spain, I probably need to hire somebody that speaks Spanish. Yeah. If I'm a Windows shop and I want to do some business on Android, I may need to hire somebody that understands Java. Yep. We could end up with culture clash. We could end up with language barrier. So the idea here is a perfect or a per, uh, perfectly in line with the geolocation scenario I just provided and saying yeah, it's a great example. By we, the way. we can find tools that can bridge this gap. Yep. So let's look at it from a slightly different way. So Microsoft well, under Satya Nadella, he's really been trying to, I guess, uh, bring in disparate communities and try to get Visual Studio and the development of Windows tools and yeah, platforms. that whole idea of let's get everything everywhere. If I'm understanding right. him correctly, right. So what they announced a while ago was we're going to let you take your Java app and just kind of bring it into our tools, Visual Studio, and we'll just compile it and run it, and it'll be like it. It'll run on Windows. You don't have to change anything. And this was one of the Windows 10 bridges. Yeah, I think it was called uh, Project Astoria. It was that that bridge. So. Like from Android in the Windows or from Windows onto Android, that that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So bringing Android apps, native Android apps running Java or running on top of Java into the Windows 10 UWP. What is UWP? Uh, the Universal Windows Platform. Well, how, how how does that help me as a as a <laughs> how, how would that how would that mean something to me as a business person? So UWP is. Essentially, like the Windows Store that you see sitting on your Windows 8 or Windows 10 machines, um, but they're trying to expand it out to this platform that it doesn't really matter if you're on Windows, if you're on an Xbox, if you're on a phone, if you're on a tablet. Um, you can sell something in a store and download it and run it on any of those. It's 
I hate to say it, kind of um, comparable to the right once run anywhere that is the slogan of Java, but they're trying <laughs> to do it their own way. You know, I've had that thought in the past, and, and again, I, I like my job of recapping today. So Windows is running on the Xbox, on tablets, on phones, on desktops, and, and the idea is write your application once, do a few minor UI tweaks, and you've got this application on all those form factors. Well, I think that it's only the beginning because they've started releasing ASP and .NET, which is a lot of what drives the Universal Windows platform. That's a lot uh, of that Microsoft stack you described before, right. right? They've released a lot of those pieces for Linux and Mac, and it's open source, and they're trying to build it out, and they're working with Mono. So who's Mono again? Go ahead. Who is Mono again? Mono was uh, the open source, like, clone of .NET. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they had re-implemented .NET all on their own, and Microsoft, under Satya Nadella, has been like, hey, we're giving you chunks of code. Hey, we're open sourcing our compiler. Uh, hey, let's work together to bring official .NET to Linux and Mac, uh, which tells me that, the universal Windows platform might not just end on Windows. So if this UWP or universal Windows platform is not just going to be limited to Windows, what type of implications does that have for the future? Well, I think that... Maybe what does it even mean? Well, I think the Windows bridge concept that they were really trying to push towards developers was, hey, you don't have to be stuck doing these Java apps. You don't have to be stuck using these other tools and stuff. Hey, keep using our tools. Keep using our platform. You know, we'll bring in your your Java app. We'll bring in your iOS app, and you can keep developing it. But there still was that language barrier. You still needed to know some Java or some iOS when you were using those. It wasn't just an amazing translation into your language that you knew. They were kind of writing their own little translation layer underneath, but you were writing Java or Objective C. The alternative is they just bought Xamarin. So they just bought a company that uh, it, it's it's really great, uh, the, the product. I've actually used it before. So they bought Xamarin. So you write .NET code. You, you write C Sharp. Um, you, you write it for Windows, and you write like some libraries, or you, you write your application. And when you hit save or build, you can have it build an iOS copy, an Android copy, a Windows phone copy, a Windows desktop copy, a Mac desktop copy. Like you can write one app and distribute it across pretty much every channel at once. Um, and that app would yes, be written in the .NET framework. Right. It's written in a .NET framework. Yes, you can tweak like, hey, the Android phone, I want it to be a little different than the iOS one, like change the styling and stuff. So you can do all that. But... It allows a lot of code reuse and allows you to use one language everywhere. And since C Sharp is the language Microsoft pushes more than anything else, most likely, um, bringing mobile into that and all the cross-platform stuff into that and having consistent language for everything everywhere ties in with the UWP. Okay, so let's pause for just a moment and get a good grasp on where we're at. We're talking about the ability for applications to be in a lot of different places. On the web, using HTML. 
um, on Windows using either Win32 or .NET or even the modern UWP over on Android, over on iOS and Mac. And the idea was Windows with this UWP was saying, let's bring all of these things in and be able to funnel them through the Windows Store, one point of distribution. These were the bridges that were bringing everything into this UWP. But now it looks like potentially Microsoft is going one step further and saying, why can't we just have everything working everywhere? Um, possibly. Now, some, some other competitors have complained about the ambition of UWP, I think, a little bit. Um, I've definitely heard some chatter from the gaming side of things. Steam um, and EA with Origin, uh, they've both kind of complained because under Steam and Origin, you can get like the normal Windows executable or the, the Mac executable. Like you can just get the code and you can buy third-party stuff. And, and these would be uh, what we would technically call Win32 apps, correct? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it still hooks into Steam, but you can get the app on Windows. Right, on Windows, and you can get it on Mac and and. Stuff. And, and but, Linux, Linux, big supporter of Linux. Yeah, I think that UWP, you don't actually really see the executable. Uh, UWP kind of runs stuff in the a sandbox, just like the store does. So they're they're apps that are kind of controlled by the store. Yeah, and that's sort of the confusion. They are sandbox, very much like um, if you're a, a web person, almost like what a lot of modern browsers do with web pages. Instead of letting that web page have access to the entire browser, it's going to sandbox it within a tab. And that's a, it's not a direct uh, equivalent, but it's a similar ideology of what the Windows Store is doing with applications under UWP. One of the criticisms was that UWP, or the Universal Windows Platform, uh, was the only way to get into the Windows Store and vice versa. Yeah. That is no longer true, but that's one of the largest criticisms coming from, if I believe, EA and a couple of game developers saying that, you know, we don't want to have to go through the Windows Store in order to deliver our applications in the future. Yeah, I think that's similar to some of the deals and things that were happening with Xbox. I don't, I don't know if you remember. They had some some deals that you can release on as many platforms as you want, but you got to release on like Xbox first or at the same time. Right. And we should point out that Microsoft, uh, at the time of us recording, is probably a couple of days, maybe a week or so away from announcing their strategy with Windows 10 applications on Xbox now that the Xbox One is running Windows 10. Yeah. Uh, but the .NET and the C-sharp stuff through Xamarin is really cool. Something that's been going on for a long time, though, is developing them HTML and JavaScript. Like, that's still a big thing. Um, people develop web pages like mobile first and, and then go desktop or they use phone gap. Um, Ionic is another framework that is a split off of phone gap. And both of those are very similar to Cador code. Ah. Both of those are very similar to Apache Cordoba where you can access stuff like the gyroscope and GPS and stuff through JavaScript on the mobile device and make it look like a native app. So, some people, instead of going to compiled languages or heavier languages like Java or C Sharp, have kind of gone the other route and gone HTML and JavaScript. 
So it seems like, uh, again, coming back to my uh, area, the business side of things, it seems like this isn't really just an issue with Windows right now. Windows, uh, Microsoft rather, seems to be using Windows to get this issue out into the forefront, saying, you know, we have all these bridges to bring your applications into what we call the UWP. Now, we know that they've shut down the Android one. Rumor was that it worked too well and, and uh, that the applications are just essentially virtualized on Android anyway, so why couldn't you do that on Windows? Long story short, don't want to go into that too much, but the idea is, okay, you can bring all of these application types to Windows and develop in the language that you're comfortable developing. We see Apple maybe starting to make similar moves in understanding that they probably shouldn't have four different operating systems out there, one for watch, one for television, one for, you know, one being iOS and the other being Mac. Is this um, a, a larger trend that we expect to see over the next couple of years of coming in and saying you can develop whatever you want for the web for a particular device and do so in a way that you're already experienced uh, with developing um this is a trend that's been going on for a long time with other things like like gaming uh, there's been a number of of gaming uh, applications that allow you to build a game or design a game and then run it on multiple uh, targets. Um, there's a number of frameworks and libraries I've played around with that support this type of, hey, write some core logic and, and core you know, gameplay or reusable chunks of stuff and we'll run that on every, you know, uh, Cocos 2D, for instance, is an open source library and it it does like Mac and Linux and Windows and iOS and iPhone and iPad. There's uh, like Game Salad, which people actually can run and build multiple targets on. So Unity, like the big game engines, they, they support uh, reusable code. They do like Lua and JavaScript or even C Sharp for some of its, its game scripting. So it's happening simultaneously in a lot of different markets. I think this is Microsoft kind of bringing that effort into the, them trying to bring the effort into their enterprise world. Into, um, you know, Microsoft bringing it into their enterprise world may very well mean bringing it into the mainstream. Well, to be fair, Java is still the number one language out there. It really is. Um, on Stack Overflow and a lot of development stuff. And Oracle and Sun before them, Java's been trying to do that enterprise level stuff for a long time with the right ones run anywhere. Yeah, uh, and we're talking about Java coming out in the night early 1990s, and the idea was, uh, as you said, that was sort of their catchphrase of write once, run everywhere. That uh, Java being, um, I don't know if it was always virtualized or whatever the core technology it's under always it been was. virtualized. It's always been. But the idea was, it's going to run cable boxes and it can run on your computer and in your toaster. Java was really our first widespread um, attempt and successful attempt at what we see today of having a smart everything. Java was built for that potential future, right? Java was built for that future. It was, uh, I think, it spun off of a project for a smart remote or something. I mean, if that's the case, but, right, if Java was built for that, why why are we looking at this from... Uh, you know, Microsoft's perspective and .NET developers, why is it that in, you know, two plus decades or, or about two decades, Java has not been able to say we are the default environment? <laughs> There's 
hundreds, thousands of programming languages. And, um, you know, Microsoft, I don't think ever really adopted Java's their core thing. I mean, there was a J plus plus for a while where they were making a Java compatible thing. Um, and then after the lawsuits, they kind of stopped doing that. Um, VB is still popular. Um, they, C++ is still very popular in C. Right. Um, C yeah, Sharp. so, I mean, yeah, people are still uh, developing in yeah, Visual Ruby, Basic. and in... uh, Perl, Python, I mean. So if, um, if we're looking at trying to get some efficiency going on in our organizations, and we're not, dev I, I would assume that most developers, those of you on the development side, you kind of get this landscape and you, you understand it, right? Would that be a fair assumption that most developers can navigate this landscape? Yeah, and working in a company, in an enterprise or small or medium business, you pretty much figure out pretty soon what type of shop it is. Are you based on Oracle? Are you doing a lot of Oracle stuff? You might actually have a lot of job in the in-house. You know, are you SQL server based? Is it more of a Microsoft shop? It's you'll probably find out pretty soon. Um, is it more Linux or or Mac based? You know, you're doing a lot of uh, like Ruby or Python, or you, you have a lot of Node.js, you're doing JavaScript and a lot of HTML stuff. I mean, it's it's a very diverse landscape. Um, so who's, who's going to be benefited by the fact that we can start moving, you know, application type A to applica or application runtime B? That means you don't need someone from application A and someone from, or you don't need to have someone from runtime A and runtime B. Uh, yeah, I know. I threw you off. I, I made a bad have, analogy. I used A and B for both. There's a reason you can't, or there's a reason shops become centered around a certain language or a certain technology stack. But this doesn't mean that some technology stack is going to become dominant in the long no, term. No, no, no. It's usually whatever's right for them. It's mm -hmm. not, this is the dominant one. There's always... How write could, it however you want to write it. How could someone new, and, and my, uh, sorry about this, but my mind's gravitating towards, you know, maybe even a little bit out of our core uh, base towards uh, entrepreneurship. If somebody's building a business, how, how would they start figuring out the answer to what is for them if they haven't really had the opportunity or need to deploy things like middleware and their own servers and, and whatnot? So I will say this. I know a lot of universities pair with different people. So Microsoft will pair with some and they'll really learn Microsoft stuff if they go to that school. Some others might learn Java and Oracle pairing with that school. Um, others will learn more Mac and that type of stuff. Um, usually as you start building out the application, whatever your developers are using, that's probably going to be where you start. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you're using, so if you're an entrepreneur and you're not building it, you're hiring someone to do it. Uh, it might be kind of hard to figure out what's better over the other, but if you get developers who can make the app you need, if they're Windows-based and use an SQL Server, you're probably going to be more of a Microsoft shop moving forward, If you know, depending upon what tech they use. But there's advantages to centralizing all your, your, your core stack, your core technologies on one platform. You, your guys, the longer they stay there, have more experience on that platform. Uh, they can move between projects without having to be retrained because they all know the same technology stack, which means uh, 
And I mean, that means dollar signs in, in your right. eyes right now of saying, well, cha-ching, we don't have to do training. We don't have to hire new people. Right. And when you do hire new people, you have a number of people who are going to be more experienced. Uh, you can bring in newer people easier and get them trained, pair them up. Um, if you use the same technology stack that the local university does, you now have a huge pool of people that you can bring in as interns, as junior developers. Um, it, you know, there, there's definitely advantages, advantages to having a centralized stack. Are we currently seeing this move in just one direction? I know we used uh, the Windows platform as an example, but is it possible for developers to say, you know, I want to focus on learning Objective-C, which is traditionally for iOS and, and OS X, and uh, to be able to use Objective-C in the same manner and port that over to uh, C-sharp and web technologies and everything else? Uh, or is this just a one-way road based on the initiatives of large companies? So if you were doing Objective-C, you'd be in a Mac shop. Mm -hmm. Or you're directly targeting uh, iPad or iPhone mm -hmm. or Mac or whatever. Um, like it's not something that you would most likely learn if you were just doing web development or wanting to bring in the Windows. Right. So what would happen? Let, let's say a couple of folks sat down one day and they were, they're, they're Objective-C people. And I'm going to try to give an example so I, I think sure. my question can make more sense. And let's say they build some type of I don't know. At, at my university, we're really kind of playing with Slack a little bit and trying to do Slack's some back. Great. Yeah, we're doing some back channel communication. Well, let's say that somebody's really in a Mac shop and they build some uh, productivity tool like that. It starts out small, and they focus on iOS. But then, you know, next thing rolls around and they think, you know, this would be really, uh, it'd be really useful to bring in the Android users. And then, you know, we we really need to be on Windows. And then we might as well have an app, uh, web application in case somebody's not at their own desk. How would somebody coming from that angle, because we know if they're .NET developers, they have all these tools available to them now with .NET moving other to, uh, to other platforms, with Xamarin being acquired by Microsoft. And, of course, Xamarin worked before uh, Microsoft acquired it. But if we were coming from a Mac shop, uh, would similar tools be available? Um, well, before I answer that, I will say this. Let's say you're a Java shop. Mm -hmm. You have an Android app. It's easy enough to release a Java application that would run on Mac. And it's easy enough to release a Java application that would run on Windows. And you could write both of them completely in Java. And that's really because that's what right. Java was meant for, correct? Right, right. Now, putting that same app on iOS, I'm not 100% sure uh, if there's some extra little hoops to go through. Uh, but now the question about Objective-C. Um I am not in a micro, in a Mac shop. Um, I have been, and we did not have to write for Windows. So I'm not sure of the actual tooling that's out there for that. Um, Objective-C is close to C, uh, so they might have to translate or re-implement some of it. Uh, what I would probably end up doing if I were in that position is make everything web services, so all the actions like sending and receive messages, I would, if I was doing Objective-C, write them in Objective-C and expose them as web services. And then when I made the, the app for Windows or for Android, it would 
just be a front end. It would just be a UI. So it would be very easy to develop um, in another language, and it wouldn't have a lot of logic there, and it would call back to a lot of the core stuff that I've already written in Objective-C. Hmm. But I'm not 100% sure on the tooling, so I, I, you gave me a tough one there. Um, I, I think that's just kind of where it comes down to is is making that first step and understanding what type of shop is somebody going to be and how we come up with that decision. From from my vantage point, that's what really interests me is how does somebody come about that knowledge and uh, make an informed decision. And in Well, it evolves, I think. Um, so I've been at some places where they uh, started out with a lot of Oracle. You know, maybe they uh, in-house some code from a third party and they brought in Oracle and they had a lot of uh, Oracle development and some Java applications, but they had already made some in-house stuff with .NET, and so they didn't have a lot of Java experience. They had a lot of .NET experience, so they started rewriting all the Java stuff into .NET, and, and they just were like, okay. we're going to keep being .NET because that's what we know. But that's a massive undertaking, right? Because you're taking an entire code base and saying, well, we have to rewrite this for a different right. language. Or you're hiring a couple of people that understand the other stuff, mm -hmm. and nobody else does. So yeah, and that's just have... as bad because then you have uh, all sorts of workflow issues. Right. It's just as bad. So the answer that they came up with was just leave it alone. Don't do anything to it. Just do bug fixes as needed if you have to. Java and C Sharp and C++ are close enough that sometimes you can step in and do what you need to do without having a truly deep understanding of it. But, um, yeah, they just kind of left that version alone and started writing version 2. As technology becomes more open and um, synergistically connected, I, I really don't, I know my mind goes here a lot and I really don't mean to, but a lot of times we see one dominant thing emerge. And in this case, I don't actually mean one dominant thing that, you know, Objective-C or C-Sharp would win out. What I mean is there has been a lot of conversation for over two decades now about whether the web will win out. At this point, are we pretty close to saying, well, you know, I could just use HTML5 and the technologies that come after it well, and target you know everything? You can write HTML5 Windows Store apps, right? Right. You can use you Windows can Store apps. You can write HTML5 iOS apps, right? And, and that's where I'm going with this. Is there a day that developers start training themselves and thinking in terms of, you know, I know I'm a specialist in this. However, um, the industry is going... A different direction and, and could that direction potentially be HTML5 across the board as native apps? Well HTML5 by itself I don't think is going to be it. I think the the real thing is JavaScript. So oh yeah and just JavaScript, for clarification anytime I mention HTML5 unless I'm being very very specific I do include CSS and JavaScript as well. well. No I'm talking specifically about JavaScript. Oh okay. 100% specifically about JavaScript. So JavaScript changed dramatically. Well, JavaScript changed the industry dramatically when a product was released called Node.js. It took the JavaScript rendering engine of Chrome, the V8 JavaScript engine, and they tacked on some libraries to do I.O., like reading and writing files and reading and writing networks. And it became this new thing. So it 
kind of led to the development of the mean stack. So, you know, you've heard of the .NET stack where, you know, you're writing C-sharp code and you're talking to SQL Server and you're going through IIS to maybe ASP.NET. And on the Java side, you probably got Oracle and Java Beans and uh, Java, you know, web servlets. But on, you know, Linux, you know, there, there was Apache and... PHP and MySQL. Yeah, uh, and I'm, I'm really familiar with yeah, LAMP stack, Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. But have you heard of the mean stack? I've, I've heard of it, but I don't really know what it is, to be honest with you. So a couple years ago, there started to be a push to move away from SQL, away from relational databases, where right. uh, it's like, you know, away from like stuff like Access and SQL Server and Oracle, where everything's in the table and everything's very rigid on like these things are required yeah and you know uh, on an interesting side note not to interrupt but i was uh, i thought that was a relatively recent thing and i was skimming through a database textbook that i have um that was published in 1999 and they were actually talking about yeah. how database technology will continue to move non-relational but yada 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 and i thought wow i didn't realize it's been that long since the trend was known but sorry continue yep so mean is mongo ExpressJS, Angular, and Node.js. And Mongo is a non-relational database, Mongo's correct? Mongo is a non-relational, very much like CouchDB and Hadoop, those type of things where you can use lots and lots of, of commodity hardware and databases. It, it, it really supports fast writes, because it, and it stores it in JSON, in JavaScript you know, object format. So you just write lots of data to it. It's a little slower to read because it's not super, you know, relational like SQL, but it's based on Mongo. Right, it's, it's one of those on no SQL languages or databases that we hear about. Right, but stuff stored in JSON format in JavaScript. Mm -hmm. You ExpressJS, which is your middle tier, which handles all of your, your business logic for web services and stuff, it's written in JavaScript, so you write JavaScript there. Angular, which is your whole front end, and, you know, HTML5 and JavaScript, so doing all JavaScript, and then Node.js, the back end that handles, you know, when you go to slash login, load this piece, when you go request this file. So you can write JavaScript from the server all the way to the client, the I'm a database little, to the client. I'm a little confused about something. So Mongo's the database. Yep. Node.js is server-side scripting. Well, server-side server uh, file management and, like, templates, like uh, loading HTML templates together and sending mm -hmm. them up or so including this thing and that thing. And we'd be replacing ASP or PHP with Node.js. Node kind of replaces IIS. Express kind of replaces ASP. Oh, okay. Okay. That and, makes and, that makes more sense. And I, I'm still having a little bit of trouble translating it to the one I work with the most, the LAMP stack. Um, so uh, PH, uh, Node is kind of like Apache. Oh, okay. And PHP is kind of like... So Node is, is the complete... Um, is it a server environment? It's a server. Like, it can be a simple web server. Okay. It's single-threaded, but what's cool is with, with Docker, with Linux, with cloud services, you can just spin up these things like crazy and, and have massively scalable stuff. But it's JavaScript. One language, server, database, client, everything, JavaScript. And so it can all operate on JSON files going back and forth rather than the more complex and verbose XML. And then you can take that a step further. Have you heard of ASMJS? I have not. ASMJS takes JavaScript code and 
kind of compiles it so that when it executes on the browser, it's almost like native code. It, it's like super optimized to the point where like this add instruction in JavaScript will generate one CPU instruction on the in the browser. And they've ported the Unreal Game Engine to ASMJS and it ran it like half native speed. So they had a game engine doing 3D graphics running at half of native speed and it was through JavaScript in a browser. Is it is it possible for JavaScript to eventually become native or is that exactly what Node.js is? That's what ASMJS is kind of doing for you. Where it's compiling it down to as low as it can pretty much. But this is how you get some sort of some of the emulations you see where you see Windows 8 or, or I mean Windows 95 or Windows 3.1 running in a browser. Sometimes that's through ASMJS or it's through, you know, some of these type of translation technologies. Is it possible we get to a point to where JavaScript, which seems to have a lot of momentum right now uh, and has over the past however long it's existed. I mean, I know the early days of JavaScript. It was and... built in 10 days by a guy at at Netscape. Well, but that's the thing. I tell this story over and over, and everybody's heard me tell it. You've heard me tell it that I was dissuaded against learning JavaScript when I was younger and really interested in certain things. That oh, it's not a real language, and this, that, and the other. But the momentum has truly been there. Is it possible that we see a future where, you know, C sharp and Objective C don't have much of an operational performance uh, above JavaScript? Um, I think it's possible that. Um, so. Well, let me, let me back up. So Java and C-sharp, um, you run in a VM. You do. You run in a virtual machine that handles memory and isolates your program from another program. JavaScript runs in a VM. Your browser tab can't mess with the next browser tab. So they're, they're very similar. It's possible that, you know, performance can keep increasing on both sides. Who knows? <clears throat> I'm sorry, I was. <clears throat> yeah, um, coughing. there's actually a great talk, uh, and I sent you the link. Uh, it's about 30 minutes, and this guy kind of talks about what we're talking about right now. Can JavaScript take over and be the end all be all language? So I'll where... add a link into the show notes for that. It's called Destroy All Software. Well, that's the people who speak. Uh, they, they have some really great talks on how terrible JavaScript is as a language. And oh, then they okay. have that's some just other the site this is at? Huh? Uh, that's just the site it's at, you're saying. This is uh, Gary Bernhardt. Yeah. Well, the site it's at is Destroy All Software. They do a lot of different talks on JavaScript. Oh, okay. And this one's the, called The Birth and Death of JavaScript. Yeah, he has a, a little grandiose kind of coverage of the history of JavaScript from mm -hmm. the year 1995 until 2035. <laughs> Uh, I would definitely he, add that into the show notes for everyone. And he calls it JavaScript the entire time, which I love because it sounds like Ron Burgundy talking about yogging. <laughs> so nice humor in there. Um, hey, good to know that uh, all sorts of uh, development angles uh, can be worked in, including humor. Yes, I, lo I love the JavaScript. So there's that possibility, but no immediate risk of, of you know an Objective-C or C-sharp or Java developer saying... Uh, my skills aren't wanted anymore. No. Um, there's, I mean... I mean, we're still hiring Python lists. and Cobalt, uh, Cobalt um, programmers, right? 
they you can probably still make good money if you're a COBOL programmer yeah. to transition it off of COBOL. Yeah. Or that's, support and that's been true for decades. So this just all goes back to uh, kind of figure out, do you want to have multiple people with multiple languages and a such a diverse skill set that nobody can work with anyone else on a project without ha- having to learn something new? I mean, that can be great where so many people are cross-trained on so many different things that you can handle anything that life throws at you. But the other option is people become more irreplaceable if they have the, they're the only ones that have those skills i think as a business owner it's probably a good idea to consolidate your technology stack and some of these cross platform right once devo- deployed to multiple places help you consolidate onto a single type of stack and from there you could always move in if you needed better performance on a particular device you could always dig in deeper correct yes seems like efficiency and the knowledge base and the functioning, the, the inner workings of the team themselves really are what help us build uh, the understanding of where we should be. Well, you move faster. You develop more quickly because there's a common set of tools and a common set of languages. Um, most places I've worked have a technology matrix where it lists out, we're going to use these libraries, we're going to use these extensions, we're going to use this stuff. Uh, these are approved, these are not approved. Or this one's approved, but only for legacy apps and to keep using it as they try to get rid of it and consolidate back on that central. Because anybody can hop onto the project, understand what's going on, and move without having to learn the language, learn the technology. You know, um, I, I really agree with that, and, and we've talked about that. You've, you've tried to convince me to move um, over to jQuery a couple of times, and I've just said, no, I'm sticking with core JavaScript right now for a while. And uh, I think, you know, teams can do that of, you know, cover what you know and then uh, expand as, as the team sees fit. Sounds good. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, take care.